If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you. We'll get back to some of your phone calls uh, here this afternoon. 780-496-0063-403-974-8255. few other things to get to as well. Uh, I want to turn our attention, though, to a fascinating new book on not just Canadian military history, but Canadian medical history and the impact of the First World War. I mean, the horrors of World War I um, are well known. There was much asked of doctors and nurses of the day, and obviously medicine was far less advanced than today. It was an enormous mobilization of doctors and nurses onto the battlefield. And obviously they struggled with how to uh, deal with, you know, some of the, the horrific injuries uh, that uh, were, were presented to them. And it changed medicine in a lot of ways. There's also a, an untold aspect to that story that is shared uh, in the new book from our next guest. Uh, Tim Cook, one of this country's leading military historians, and is the author of the new book, Lifesavers and Body Snatchers, Medical Care and the Struggle for Survival in the Great War. Tim Cook, great to have you with us here this afternoon. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Great to be on the show again. I mean, it's really fascinating to me. Uh, obviously, you, you really started writing this book just as we were facing this global pandemic. But going back a little bit further, as you began researching all of this, you were facing your own, uh, you know, serious medical challenges. So how does that all, all tied together here then? Yeah, Rob, I, uh, when I turned 40, I was diagnosed with cancer. That was about 13 years ago, so a, a difficult time. Many of your listeners uh, probably been through that and are no loved ones. And I really, you know, focused on medicine and doctors and nurses uh, who were caring for me. And one of the amazing things I found, I'm, I'm in Ottawa, was just how these doctors, um, they knew their history. And they, when they found out I was a historian, they would tell me stories of uh, blood transfusion, ev- uh, evolutions of medical care, surgical care on the battlefield. And I thought, isn't that fascinating? I mean, um, I'd love to write a book about that someday, but, you know, Time went on. You and I have talked about other books I've written, uh, but then the pandemic in in uh, March of 2020, I began to reflect upon our history, and I thought about the pandemic of 1918-1919 that killed 50 million people around the world and 55,000 Canadians, and so that those two things came together and. I, re- I was researching and writing, and uh, as some people have called it, the pandemic projects. Uh, but there was also a medical mystery that I, I wanted to uh, come to grips with as well. And we can get into that. But, I mean, you know, one thing that jumps out to me, and, and you know, the, the great pandemic of 1918, of course, was preceded by what we, we refer to as the Great War. And I can only imagine what, you know, those in the medical profession had already gone through. I mean, as you know, half of all Canadian doctors and a third of Canadian nurses ended up serving overseas. That, that, that's a remarkable figure to me. It is remarkable. And it, one of the things I, I learned through my research, and I, 
And when I research, I read letters and diaries of, of soldiers and nurses and doctors. I go through the official records. I just couldn't believe how many Canadian doctors were serving. And in fact, there were doctor shortages throughout Canada. But of course, they had to serve overseas. They were part of the military machine. They were absolutely essential in dealing with the horrific wounds on the Western Front, the high explosive shells that tore uh, limbs from bodies and shattered mines, uh, the shrapnel, the machine guns firing 500 bullets minute chemical weapons they were just confronted with uh, just unbelievable wounds and they studied and they went through incredible evolution and care and if you were a wounded soldier on the Western Front and you made it to a hospital you had about a 90% chance of surviving and that's a that gives some sense of the incredible care we're talking about here nonetheless the casualties were were horrific and and so many of those soldiers were cut down in no man's land or died in a shell crater you know whispering for their mother um, and this is these are stories that I, I, I talk about in the book the evolution in care the um, the introduction of blood transfusion, the use of X-rays to locate a metal in the body. Um, this is this is a war before antibiotics, so almost every wound was infected, and uh, some really hard reading about how doctors treated these uh, terrible infections, and yet. Uh, often they were they were very successful, although at a, a terrible emotional cost. Um, I think that we have a better sense now of living through COVID and so many of these waves. Um, uh, how the doctors and nurses, the the deaths of these young men weighed on them. Right, and just the stress of serving on the front lines. I mean, there was an inherent danger just in being there, and and then just facing uh, all these these horrible injuries. You know, the chemical weapons. Um, you know, the the severed limbs, like just gruesome stuff that, that they were facing on a daily basis. And I mean, I guess innovation is born of, of those kinds of horrible pressures, but that's not, not an ideal way to advance medical care, but that, that's what happened. It did, and and uh, and many of the doctors understood that. You, as I read their letters and diaries, or even scientific journals, they would say, "Never has there been such evolution in care. Never have we had such success, but at such a cost." And so they understood that terrible, um, that terrible trade-off or the tension there. Um, and they were always learning. They were always studying and trying to come to grips with these uh, new wounds. I mean, if you were a a general practitioner in Canada uh, serving a rural community. You didn't have a lot of people coming in with um, shrapnel wounds to the brain and exposed lungs and uh, shattered femurs. Um, you'd never seen shell shock, uh, wounds to the mind. And nobody in the history of warfare had seen uh, what mustard gas could do to uh, people and how you would treat your own patients who could burn you uh, days after they had been infected. So yes, there was this constant learning and trying to come to grips um, uh, in order to save the lives of these young Canadians. The question of what can we learn from these horrors, and, and that was, was a question that, you know, that kind of looms over all of this and, and, and emerges in a disquieting way. And this, this gets to one aspect of your research and a part of the story that hasn't been told before. And, and you spent many years researching this, but what you were able to determine about the harvesting of soldiers, not just organs, but, but body parts, what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, this was the medical mystery I mentioned at yeah. the top, which I had been trying to run to ground for over a decade. I had 
seen in some of the doctor's letters that talking about autopsies behind the lines on soldiers who had died of their wounds, and they were autopsying them to, to better understand how to treat um, other wounded soldiers who would come in. I thought that's an interesting story. As I, as I began to look at the official records, though, to my horror, I found that they were um, harvesting soldiers' body parts, uh, brains that had been sh- you know, torn apart by shrapnel, a mustard gas lungs, um, uh, bones that had been uh, broken in a particular way by a bullet. Uh, and they were harvesting these body parts and bone fragments for a future museum uh, in Ottawa. And I, I just, you know, Rob, I had to keep looking at the records, wondering if I was actually reading them correctly, because mm-hmm. I've been writing about Canada's military history for 25 years. It's my 14th book. Um, I'd never heard of this. It had never been published anywhere. And so that was the mystery that I, I talk about in the book. And I try to understand it. I try to situate it within these doctors uh, grappling with these horrific wounds and, and trying to uh, find better ways to treat the soldiers. And yet, um, their loved ones uh, at home in Canada were never told of this. It's not on their personnel files. Um, And uh, in the end, 799 body parts were brought back to Canada. And I I think that's quite shocking. I mean, obviously, there is no such museum. So what, what came of it all? They were, uh, there is no museum, you're exactly right. It was to be built in Ottawa, a, a military medical museum. Um, these body parts that came back went to McGill University, and um, they were on display. Uh, the government of the day um, d- devoted money so that they could be catalogued. This was not a secret, although probably not well known to most Canadians. But it's very clear that in 1922, um, Department of National Defense, or what would become D&D, um, they shouldn't have these body parts. And, and Canada, you'll remember, was going through a period of, of commemoration. Uh, that's what the year we decide to build the Vimy Memorial. There are thousands of memorials across this country. I, I hazard a guess that wherever your listeners are, there is a memorial to the First World War in their city, town, or village. And they realize that this is um, not not on. And so those body parts uh, were left at McGill University uh, for 30 years, and that's part of the the story I tell. So these were instructions directly to the doctors, that that they were instructed to remove brains or or lungs, etc. But instructed by whom? Where, Where were these orders coming from? Who was making these decisions? It's a good question, Rob. Yeah, it was a British program, um, and in fact, it very much framed around writing the history of the war, because these doctors understood they were living through momentous times, um, that uh, the wounds that they were treating were absolutely new, and everything from the facial reconstruction to the use of x-rays, uh, the preventative medicine, they wanted to capture this. And body parts, pathological samples, as they called them, were one way to do this. But, you know, I understand that, and that's a part of it, but these were, these were in the Canadian case, young men who left behind their loved ones to serve overseas, king and country, to liberate large parts of, of France and Belgium. And um, it's not an easy thing to understand, I think, especially especially when we talk about that period in the 1920s when we were building memorials across the country. And how does that sit with our concept of the fallen and the soldiers? Um, I think if 
more Canadians had known about this, they probably would have been horrified. Certainly the parents who lost their sons or wives who lost their husbands uh, would have been. And, um, you know, it's part of my book. It's part of the legacy of the war. Um, and, of course, uh, war always produces uh, powerful and profound legacies, uh, some of them very positive, uh, some of them very dark. Right, and the, the echoes of, of the past, of history, do affect us in different ways today. And, and this is something that even though, you know, those, those loved ones are, are long gone, you know, there never was a reckoning that maybe there should have been a, around something like this. Um, what, what do you hope will come of this now by, by bringing all of this to light? Yeah, Rob, well, the book came out yesterday, so I'm not quite sure. Um, yeah. But I, I think there will have to be a reckoning. That's a good word, I think. Um, we had 66,000 Canadians who died in the Great War and in its immediate aftermath. I've had um, a number of people contact me saying, um, you know, this is shocking, and, and do you know if my great-grandfather or grandfather was among the these soldiers who had their body parts harvested? Um, I do have the names of some of these Canadians in my book, and uh, I talk about the program, but but certainly not all of them. I'm not sure, Rob, um, and I've, uh, I've struggled with this a bit. I uncovered this story. I have laid it out. I've tried to contextualize it. I've tried to make sense of it, and yet I think it's not the end of the conversation. It, it may be the beginning of some other difficult conversations that we need to have as Canadians. Well, an important, powerful, and, and dare I say, a consequential story in many ways. It's called Lifesavers and Body Snatchers. Uh, as mentioned, uh, released yesterday. Tim, congrats on the book, and uh, all the best to you. Be well, and um, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you. Take care. Uh, that is uh, veteran historian, uh, one of Canada's top war historians, Tim Cook. His latest book, it's called Lifesavers and Body Snatchers, Medical Care and the Struggle for Survival in the Great War. And you think about what was going on in the trenches, what these soldiers were sacrificing, and what was being asked of these doctors and nurses on the front line to treat these horrific and gruesome injuries. And and to sort of innovate on the fly. You know, it's so crazy to think, as as Tim alluded to, it's something we take for granted today. There there were no antibiotics to treat these wounds. And almost everyone ended up as an infection. But in a war that involved chemical weapons, among other things, just think what these doctors were facing. So, yes, it is kind of a bizarre and and tragic irony that one of the most destructive wars ever had such a a positive impact on civilian health and public health and all the medical innovations that by necessity came out of that. And then you think all of these doctors and nurses have been sent overseas to serve on the front war. They come front line of the war. They come home. Now, all of a sudden, you go from a great war to uh, a great pandemic. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter, at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770chqr.com. Talk to you next time.